Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where every questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. I'm here. Let's do it. Also with us, Jed Brewer. Woo! With us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. Vamos! And vamos, we shall. Or is the, uh, the well-meaning uh, Southern person who says it, trying to speak Spanish to the guy at the restaurant after church, we're going to Vaminos best we can. <laughs> We are back on normal format. We've got some great questions from you folks, but just because we did five in the previous show doesn't mean we're out of emergencies. Hey, I have to declare an I got got emergency. So we start off with some good news. Good news is uh, Twitter user Elijah posted a screenshot um, of a the Gospel Coalition headline. Under the uh, Bible and Theology tag, headline reads, Wine and Wordle, Sinful Practices That Might Be Happening at Your Church. (laughs) Now, gentle listener, when I tell you that I looked at that and immediately went, yep, that seems like a Gospel Coalition headline, (laughs) and headed to the website to find the article, I was very relieved to find later in the Twitter thread (laughs) that this was a fake, a, uh, a Photoshop put up. But that mean, but what that got me thinking is that we know somebody, probably someone at the Gospel Coalition, is going to try to ruin Wordle with legalism eventually. Yes. Can we get there first? Oh, yeah. Because, you know, people are enjoying the Wordle. Um, it's, it's fun. You get to post it on, on uh, you know, their social media. There's only one day. The New York Times recently bought it and ruined it and is right. uh, making me so hate the New York Times. I'm possibly going to vote Republican in the next election just for pure <laughs> grievance. Whoa, like whoa. It is the failing New York Times, and I can't trust what they say. But putting all that aside, it is also something that brings people joy. We know how the Christians hate that. So I would like yeah. to, to throw it open <laughs> to how can we uh, ruin Wordle with uh, Jesus stuff? I've got it. Oh, It's all in Greek, but it's only one word, logos, and that's the word every day, no matter what. <laughs> Christian Wordle, you got it. Yeah, I do think there there's a a, a running you know uh, Christian wordle where just the answer every day is Jesus because Jesus is yep. always the answer. Wow, it's not that fun, but uh, it, it's not meant to be. <laughs> Listen, fellas, people are out there liking things, enjoying things, they're experiencing joy, happiness. Uh, they're 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 feeling more alive and aware and alert, but they're not doing it while reading the Bible or being at church, and that means it's evil. We've got to put a stop to it because we can't have people enjoying stuff because we can't compete with that. I'm just thinking about you know, and and this is just one of those that I I just can't turn off the the experiences that I've had with the voice of legalistic Jed throughout the number of years that we've done this show. Sure. And the fact that on Wordle, you get six chances to get it right. Oh, I just oh. feel like that's a place that legalistic Jed would really take issue with. Like you should be able to get it in three chances, which is the number of perfection. Yeah. Three or seven would be good. Six is definitely satanic. Here's the problem is that's so rich with possibilities that like I'm frozen 
You know, it's like with the cartoons with all of them are trying to burst through the door at the same time and they get stuck. That's the ideation that happens for legalistic Jed when presented with that. Sure. Legalistic <laughs> three stooges syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, while, while we're thinking on that, I will, I will give you what I'm sure is a sermon point that has been preached already, probably by some campus pastor at a college. Oh, no. A lot of you are starting your, your, your morning with Wordle. Maybe you should start it with the word, y'all. Oh, right. gosh. Yeah. Because I think that's really the angle, is, is I understand it, and I know when I do it, there's a lot of people do the wordle. They get up. Maybe they're, uh, you know, uh, Lee and I have a friend who, uh, when his, his adorable uh, newborn child has him awake at 3 o'clock in the morning, he's doing the wordle. <laughs> um, you know, maybe some people are doing it in the morning as they get ready for for. Uh, for work, I know here in Chicago on the train, there's often some people doing doing the wordle. And uh, is there a way we can uh, make people feel bad for not spending that time doing uh, some journaling? Maybe, yeah, yeah. Here, maybe can we spin it so that doing a guessing game is like some form of gambling? Oh, that's good. That's wow. very. I like very to start good. my morning with things I'm sure of. Oh, that <laughs> you start your awesome. morning trying to guess what the answers are. I start my morning with the one who knows the answers. You're mm. trying to guess a five letter word. I start my day with the five solas. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, a lot of, you know, grace is the only five letter word I need, y'all. <laughs> oh, that's good. It's all green yeah. every time. Oh, gosh. But yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, obviously, uh, I don't know what this is because, you know, I like to pray sure, and read my Bible. <laughs> That's just how I like to do it. You know, everybody has their own thing. Mine but, is just staying in the Word. But you've been told, though. I've been told. And By I, sinners. I've, and I've seen people enjoy it, and that's uh, that's a sure sign that it's evil. Yeah, there there is one, if I may uh, bring it down, for, if I may turn my chair around and sit casually so that the kids in the audience <laughs> know this is going to be a serious point. Um, there are times when the Wordle makes me uh, homicidally angry at 8 a.m., <laughs> so uh-huh. I do think there is a point regarding your heart, as I was telling Lee and some friends of ours in a group chat recently. Um, I was I got recently got one on the fourth guess, and if it had gone to five— Instead of doing whatever I had planned that day, I was going to drive to New York Times building in Times Square and punch someone in the face. <laughs> I don't know who, but that's where we're going. And it is possible that, that in that way, Wordle is taking me into sin. I will say the, the, the arc of emotion involved in the, the journey of the Daily Wordle is really quite something. I saw someone on Twitter who said, does anybody else like wake up in the morning and go, oh boy, coffee and Wordle? And I was like, oh, yeah. But then, like, if you get to guess number four and you've still only got one green, you're like, I will kill everybody. I will burn everything. I better get this thing right. And we had a friend who literally the other day had, like, every single letter was green in the right place except for one letter. And it continued that way for, I kid you not, five guesses. Wow. Yeah. And then he managed to swing and connect on that sixth guess and get it right. I mean, his board was, I mean, he had to have been like punching people by the end of that. 
Yeah, I think I think the coffee is a good comparison because much like uh, getting some coffee in the morning, uh, a, a good Wordle experience can start your day off right. A bad yeah. Wordle experience can uh, make you feel like your stomach is going to explode all day. Much like coffee. And that yeah. transitions us into another uh, bit we want to mention here during the emergency. And Jed, would you like to share something maybe a little more edifying with the people? Oh, I, I always want to share things that are edifying with the people. Uh, can you remind me of, of the edification with which the brethren are about to be uplifted? Yes, uh, the children shall teach them in the ways of prayer and prayer request. Oh, yes. Oh, I love this so much. I am so happy about what's about to happen. I, I recently came across what is by far my favorite prayer request card <laughs> of all time. As a preacher's kid, I've seen and submitted my share of prayer request cards, but this this is my very favorite. If this is a new idea to you, um, it's actually kind of a cool thing. Uh, plenty of churches have just a little cardboard card, you know, kind of at each seat or each pew. And if you've got a prayer request, you can just write down what you'd like prayer for and maybe a little bit of follow-up information if you're if you're interested. So, which it's a cool thing. And so... There's a photo that's been circulating online of a prayer request card. The the name So happy. It's important to protect identities. You know, often prayer requests relate to health and we want to respect HIPAA laws. So, you know, the name of the submitter has been redacted, but we, we may guess that this is a person who is perhaps a bit younger, just pulling <laughs> at a few at a few context clues. But they have submitted their prayer request and we need to applaud before we talk further, the honesty that's present in this prayer request, yes, the, the courage, uh, the, the yeah. vulnerability, the, the sense of implied trust when they ask for, and I quote directly, please pray for poop, poop, and poop. <laughs> so, so happy. That just makes me happy. Now you'll be pleased to know that on the prayer request card, there are a few options about how this information will be, will be processed. Of course it, it will be prayed for, but There are certain communities perhaps it will be shared with, maybe it will be read aloud. And so our recipient with our submitter with his prayer about his poop situation, really his tri-poop situation, if you will, um, has said, first of all, yes, at the two-week intercessory prayer meeting, I would like for it to be read aloud in the prayers of the people. (laughs) (laughs) So awesome. I'm not making that up. Jed, I'm imagining the uh, the person reading it aloud is actually a cantor, yeah. and has to somehow <laughs> s- has to somehow yeah. sing this prayer request and yeah. is choosing a melody. And I don't, I, and I just, I literally just, Jed, I just want you to go with the first pop melody that comes into your head from any song in any era. Oh, and, and and now translate this as a cantor in a church for us. I, I've got just the thing. <clears throat> Here are poop. Here are poop. Here are poop. The, the thing that, because we oh, went gosh. over this in detail, and by we, I mean me, uh, went over this in detail before we hit record. Uh, to me, you could have just gone with poop. You know, just that's it. Poop. Pray for poop. You made your point. You nailed it. You're there. But you got more room left, and you know you you could have gone with four poops and kind of filled out the space on the card nicely, but 
you know, to me, it was the decision, poop, poop, and poop, <laughs> that really nails it down. Because you read, you read the first two poops, and you're thinking, maybe it'll be something serious at the end, but it's another poop. Well, whoever wrote this, this piece of, I'm going to say literature, um, knows that comedy comes in threes. That's, yeah, that's a well-established right. a reality, and they, they know their stuff. Thanks. I love, I hope we, here's what I'd like us to, to close on. And I think Lee gets us start off really well with the Cantor idea. What are the funniest ways this could be worked into the reading at the two week intercessory prayer? And for me, I keep coming back to the pastor, just totally no selling it yeah. <laughs> and just putting yeah. it like in the middle of the list. Right. <laughs> like, Oh, sister Johnson's uh, brother's in the hospital. We keep him in our prayers and, John Johnson has a job interview coming up and we lift that up and know that that's very important to him. He's worked in that for a long time. And uh, we pray for poop, poop and poop. And then <laughs> yeah. uh, we have, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. school starting back up soon. And people are, have oh, some God. understandable concerns that yes. just, just yes. dare someone to say something. Let me tell you what <laughs> that kid and every one of his friends will attend your church forever. If you do that, it's worth it. Yeah, it's impossible for me to not think about the look on the face of my 13-year-old son were he to see this prayer request card. Yes. Yeah. And just the absolute, just incandescent joy that would be on that child's face. Well, yeah, because, you know, you, we we could all uh, stand to, to come down a few pegs on the seriousness, you know, we... It's one of those things where you take it seriously, but you don't want to be serious with it when you're in church. And uh, all I'm saying is, if if this uh, young person sticks with it, I I think he'll be a valuable asset to the kingdom. <laughs> yes, this also turns me in mind to uh, a friend of uh, Lee and mine, uh, who uh, some years ago uh, we were doing a, a young life uh, thing, like that was meant being up all night, and he was having. A, uh, some intestinal distress, but he was he was going to gut it out. He was going to make it, and uh, Lee's boss uh, was at the thing uh, just as a friend of Young Life and was praying, led the prayer, and he prayed for our friend Andy's GI tract using those words. And, and yes. the phrase is just stuck in my mind forever. And anytime I like go to the doctor or to see like an ad for like your gastroenterology, I always think of our friend Andy, just very earnestly as we all kind of opened our eyes and looked up just turning going i don't think anyone's ever prayed for my gi track before (laughs) (laughs) and maybe we all need a little bit more of that and on that uplifting note we will declare emergency (laughs) off that was a journey that was a journey quite and uh never have i uh thought to myself i'm gonna have to be careful picking this week's episode title More than when we finish the poop, poop, poop segment. Because I love alliteration and prayer and poop are right there, but I just don't think that's something we want to title an episode of something we put on the internet. I have no idea why you would feel that way. Nor do I. So we will move on to our first question here. If you hang on this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with us. Our first question comes in and says... I feel like I want to listen when I want to listen to or help someone. I jump right to judging them and trying to fix them. I know I shouldn't do that, but how do I actually relate to someone's issue 
if I think they are part of the problem? Mm. A, a great question. And, you know, we, we often applaud the honesty that folks write in with. And I think this is a, a real, real moment of vulnerability and honesty to mention that you give into this temptation that I think we all have. And Lee, given that, where would we start off? Yeah, this is a really cool question. It's a, it's it's actually a pretty subtle question, and as Matt's saying, this is a place that most of us have been before. Um, I think that the the place that we want to begin as we start to find our way through this is we're trying to access empathy. Um, what we want to do is we want to try to feel um, where this person is coming through. So that we don't just see it from our disconnected place, but we're actually not that we're taking sides, not that we're automatically on their side, not that we're going to see everything completely or take it for granted that everything that they say is is true or anything like that. But we we want to begin by listening from a place of empathy. I, I want to I want to hear what you have to say, and I want to feel the thing that that you're experiencing. Um, When I go into a situation of, if it's a counseling type situation or a a conversation where somebody needs to get something off their chest or where they're venting or whatever the thing is, I want to, I want to major on listening and here's what I'm listening for. And this is a really, really big key. I'm listening for something else I can ask a question about. That's what I'm listening for. I'm listening for the opportunity to ask more questions. As you talk to me and you unfold this story, as you tell me this tale, I want to find some follow-up questions. I want to get you to explore this space a little bit more. And a lot of times when people, especially if, if it's a situation like you're describing where you're like, from what I know of this, the person that is wanting to talk to me is, is really kind of the, the cause of this whole thing. If that is the case, and they really, really are kind of the, the problem or the cause or, or a big part of the problem, one of the things that's probably happening is they have a narrative that they are paying attention to, that they are reinforcing in their mind. And as I listen to them tell the story, if I'm listening for more questions to ask, I'm actually going to force them to kind of branch off of that narrative and give a wider scope and give... a. Basically, I'm going to disrupt that narrative a little bit. I'm not trying to disrupt them or their train of thought or anything like that, but I want to cause them to experience a little more context, even from their own point of view. I want to listen in a way that gives me more questions to ask. When I meet with somebody, even if I already know something about the story that they're going to tell me, I go in there as if I don't know anything about it. And what I want to do is I want to pay attention to not only the content of what they're telling me, but the way that they're telling the story, because that matters. Like the, the angle from which they are giving me information tells me a lot about what I'm dealing with and where we need to get. The really super high level ninjutsu on when you're talking to somebody and you see a thing and they don't see it is if you can ask a question that causes them to get to a place that you already saw in the first like four minutes you were meeting with them because, and, and this is, this is something I, I know that the other guys on this podcast who spend a lot of time talking to people about their problems and stuff like that, they will be aligned with me on this. People are much more likely to make a change if they thought it was their idea. 
yeah. than if you tell them the thing from the first five minutes. A lot of times you meet with somebody and you see the issue or the problem or the solution almost immediately. Your goal in listening is um, a couple of things. Like I've already said, one of your goals is I want to actually exercise some empathy. I want to feel what you're feeling. I want to hear your point of view and I want to see what your angle is. But also I'm looking for some questions to ask to kind of disrupt that narrative and to get you to the place where maybe you on your own are going to come up with a thing that I've already seen. Um, Because if it's your idea, you're much more likely to actually buy into it. Um, And the thing about all of those processes and the reason that you need empathy and the reason that you need to major on listening and ask a lot of questions when you're not listening instead of telling a lot of wisdom or whatever it is, is that people are always, always more more likely to be open when they feel that you care about them and that you recognize or at least acknowledge their point of view. You might not even agree with their point of view. That's not really what we're talking about with the empathy. My exercise in empathy is so that I can demonstrate that I see where you're coming from because you are much more likely to be open to my advice or my wisdom. You're much more likely to be open to my questions if you feel that I actually care about you and I understand your point of view. So we're going to major on listening, even if I think you're in the wrong. I'm going to major on listening. I'm going to try to feel what your point of view is so that I can demonstrate to you that I actually care about you. Because then you're much more likely to be open and you're much more likely to hear some of that wisdom or respond to some of those questions. I think that's such a great place to start this off. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because I think a big part of what Lee is pointing to here is the difference in effectiveness between, let me just roll up my sleeves and jump in here and start fixing this by saying brilliant stuff. Um, and it sounds like our question asker has, um, I assume they're asking this question because they have found not a lot of success with that. And this other thing that may feel more roundabout may feel like you're wasting time, but really is the more effective strategy, right? Well, yeah, Lee just nailed that question. And if you're, uh, getting started in ministry, uh, or you're, you know, thinking of leading a Bible study, something like that, or. Uh, just want to be effective in ministry, you need to rerun that answer and absorb it because uh, that that nails it down. Uh, doing as much listening as you can by asking as many questions as you can and letting those questions kind of help that other person find their own uh, uh, truth in this situation and let them see it for themselves is... Uh, how you do really high, highly effective ministry. So I want to kind of flesh out then some of the stuff around that, because I, like I said, I think Lee nailed the, the, the essence of it. I think the first thing to say, if you're, if you're having problems judging people that you're listening to or trying to work with in some sort of way, is that you may be laboring under a, 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 a viewpoint that is not realistic. Uh, if your viewpoint of Christianity and and maybe of life is that you have mostly, almost totally straight people over here, and then the crooked people over there, mm. uh, then you're going to struggle a lot in your life, and your Christianity is not going to really reach a level of maturity. The right way to look at it is the way that every church pastor I know looks at it, which is all these people are messed up. 
<laughs> they front off like they're straight, and they got each other convinced, I suppose. So, you know, pastor knows, and I know, it's time for you to know, all the people you're going to church with, they're all messed up. If you want to start judging people, you're going to end up pointing that in every conceivable direction, and of course, eventually, you'll find yourself pointing that back towards yourself. So we don't want to go down that road, but part of that, again, is, I think, recognizing this isn't actually how the world works. Everybody's messed up. Everybody's got their stuff that they need to work on. And um, therefore, we ought to be looking to do what Lee's talking about, which is getting to a place of understanding. Part of what Lee's talking about as well there is when you're talking to somebody about their problems, there's, uh, for me, often there's a stated thing that's happening on the surface. You know, this is, you know, I have cheated on my wife, or I got fired at work because I did this thing, or you know, I've been drinking however long. But if you ask three or four questions, you go from layer one of this problem to layer two of this problem. And I can't tell you how often layer two looks like an entirely different world from mm. layer one. Once you get down to like, well, what caused this? You you suddenly realize, okay, wait a second. This is a real problem. This is just, this is the cause. That's the effect. I, I could just chase symptoms forever. I need to deal with root causes. If you go down another layer to layer three, it might look totally different all over again. So that's a problem with judgmental uh, approaches to things is we sort of react to the initial thing and say, well, you're a part of that problem. You cheated on your wife. You messed up your taxes. You drank this alcohol, what have you. You'd be right about that. But I think the the thing that you need to, to ask yourself is, do I actually understand what the real problem is? Uh, do I understand what's driving this? Once you reach a level of understanding about something, it's hard to be judgmental about it because you, you understand it. You say, oh, well, this kind of makes sense. It's, it's not that this person's evil. It's they went through a lot of tough circumstances and, you know, it's not okay, it's not right, but it makes sense, and it's understandable. Uh, and that makes it uh, a, a, an entirely different thing. It allows you to not be judgmental about it, but it also allows you to help people uh, in a compassionate way. And that's what we want uh, for you in these situations. Mm-hmm. We certainly do. And Jed, where would we close this question out? I want to build on what you've already heard. Um, and I want to note that if you could separate out for a second fully, which you cannot do, but if you could separate out the human element and you should make it like you're a a doctor dealing with a patient or an engineer looking at a bridge or whatever, diagnosing a problem is useful, but not as much as you'd think. Let me demonstrate what I mean. You say, "I, I lost my job. Well, you shouldn't have stolen money at work. That is true. You have diagnosed a problem, but, But if you don't know the answer to why that happened, we have not really gotten anywhere. We've actually not really accomplished anything. And this goes right along with what Glenn was saying. So if, if your basic message to someone is you could have done something else, you could have made a different choice, you could have made a better choice. We've not really offered them anything. So we, we've not even really begun this process. We need to look at that why question. And if we really want to answer the why question, I think here's a great path to get there. Now, to be clear, before I go on, it's different strokes for different folks. Uh, Different people do want different things in conversations. I have friends who never pause for air. They just 
They just want to talk. I also have friends who stop and clearly hope that, you know, someone will say something. So this is, this is general guidance, but you got to adapt it where you are. But here's my question for you in the spirit of why. Why did this person do what they did? Could you, if you had to, do you feel like you could accurately describe how it feels to be them? Hmm. Could you describe adequately yeah. and accurately the emotional landscape of their situation? Yeah, that's good. And would you be able to discuss it in a way that they would agree with, where they yeah. would say, yeah, that's accurate, and critically, where they would feel supported by it, where they would yeah. feel like, you you get where I'm coming from, you're not looking down on me. If you can do that, if you can understand and then articulate their emotional landscape, what it feels like to be them. Man, we are hot on the trail of that why question. If we can do that, oh my goodness, we have some insights brewing. But I really want to encourage you to start there. And since we're on the topic and I very briefly have the microphone, I'm going to add in one more thing. What I'm describing to you is empathy. And for a bunch of really convoluted reasons. There are people in the church right now who are waging war on the concept of empathy. Mm. That is nonsense. Uh, That's not the way of Jesus. It's not the witness of scripture. And if you hope to ever help anyone successfully, you're going to need to be able to empathize them. Empathy is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. And it is the root of how we actually help people like anything, anything can be taken to unhealthy places. But learning to be empathetic is a good thing. It's a skill. It's a godly thing. And it's a huge part of how you get to where you want to be in terms of helping other people. Yes. Uh, to go back Amen. to one of the things we uh, were talking about in the emergency ep- emergencies episode last week, uh, some very interesting trends in the wider church uh, among them. Don't think too hard about your faith and don't try to empathize with other people. Yeah. These are not good strategies. Uh, we're those all great stuff from all these guys. We're going to move on to our next question here. And it says, I feel like I really dwell on things that make me mad or unhappy. I want to think about positive stuff. My thoughts always drift back to whatever's driving me craziest at the moment. How do I fix that? And another great question. And Glenn, where do we start off? Boy, I can relate to you on this question. Uh, I, if, if you, if you look down at where your feet are, you'll see my footprints. I, <laughs> I've, I've been on this road. Um, it does not end well, and it does not lead to truth. Uh, it does not lead to deeper insight. It does not lead to justice. Uh, it does not lead to, uh, anything other than a lot of, uh, uh, wasted emotional energy that you could be using uh, elsewhere to make the world a better place and make your world a better place. Uh, so that's that's our goal here is to get to that. Uh, first and foremost, it's important to recognize that rage does exactly the same thing that drugs and alcohol do, which is it it uh, makes it possible to be in a state of avoidance. Uh, it uh, it allows us to not look at what we don't want to be looking at. Um, uh, if you ask an, an addict, a uh, drug or alcohol addict, they would say, I, it allowed me to be numb. Uh, it allowed me to, you know, self-medicate and so that I wouldn't be looking at things. Uh, rage has the same quality of, 
I am no longer focusing on the unbearable situation that I'm dealing with. Uh, the thing about rage as well, and this needs to be understood, is rage really is great for making you feel superior. <laughs> uh, you feel, I, I don't know if you're this way. I suspect everyone is this way, but I'll just put it on myself. The angrier I get, the more I'm sure I'm right. And, uh, of course the opposite is, is often the case, but I just, you know, you get angry, you just feel the depth of the truth of what you're, what you're on and you're looking down on somebody. That's the thing is you're raging out at somebody and you're, you're, you're looking down on them and they're dumb and they're stupid. And that means I'm smart and I get it and I know what's up. Um, and that's for, for for a lot of us, that's an intoxicating feeling. Uh, and obviously we want to take our sense of, of who we are and our identity from, from God. And to start with humility, recognize we're no uh, better than anybody else. Uh, so the answers here are obvious, but here's the question I want to ask for you to ask yourself about this. Do you know where the enemy's trap is in your life? Uh, particularly as it relates to this stuff. Do you know how he traps you? Do you know what mechanisms he uses to get you into uh, the this dwelling on things that make you mad or unhappy? If you know what those mechanisms are, then you can take steps to avoid that. If you don't, you're going to be caught up no matter what. So it's it, it it sounds very holy to say, let's focus on the problem and the strife and the struggle and the whatever, but it, it's often much more effective to look at what is, what is the thing that gets me to this place mm-hmm. and recognize that you're taking control of your life. And that's, that's what we want for you is to have that sense of taking control and finding a place of peace. I think it's a great place to start off. And Jed, where do we go from there? Well, here's something I'd like you to think about is, is part of the draw of thinking about all the negative stuff that you feel like you are accomplishing something by thinking over and over and over about the bad things, right? Like you are, you said in your, in your question, stuff that makes you mad or unhappy. Is there a sense, maybe somewhere in your brain that if you think about this thing that makes you unhappy enough, maybe you'll see a way to overcome it. Or maybe you'll see a way to fix it, or maybe you'll inoculate yourself against it, or maybe you can almost pre-experience the sadness and the unhappiness of it so that it doesn't hit you as bad when the thing actually happens. If any of those are true, then I think part of the draw is, well, I'm being productive. I am, I am accomplishing something with my thoughts, right? Because by contrast, if I tell you to just think about happy things— I think one of the immediate implications is, yeah, what am I supposed to do with that? Like people jump immediately. You just want me to think about rainbows and unicorns as though actively thinking about a positive thing is innately ridiculous. Like it couldn't possibly accomplish anything. Here's something I want you to think about. I want to, I actually, I'm going to tell you two statements. I strongly believe both of them are true. I'm not asking you to believe them. I just want you to think about them. The first is, Around the fourth or fifth time you've thought about a particular unhappy thing, you've already had all the insights you're going to have off of it. Yeah. That's it. There's, there's no new material there, man. It, it sucks. You have a sense of what the, the broad coordinates are. That's it. 
There's no more there there. That's that's statement one. Statement two is there. You are right now leaving money on the table in terms of enjoying your life. Like there's more layers of stuff to enjoy in the things that are already in your life than you are currently enjoying. Like there's more good stuff in terms of enjoyment and delight that you could have tomorrow than what you had today without actually adding a new thing into your life. I firmly believe that both of those statements are true. Not asking you to believe them, but I do want you to think about them. And here's why I want you to think about them. If they're true at all, not only are you wasting your time by thinking about the negative stuff where you've already, you've already searched this train, we've already gotten whatever could be there out of it. And not only are you kind of depriving yourself of insights and implications and seeing the possibilities about the good stuff in your life. Here's the other thing. You're bored, man. Yeah. Yeah. If you're searching over and over and over for something new in terrain you've thoroughly investigated, you are bored. Which is part of why I think the next negative thing is so dang appealing is it's fresh meat for that analysis process. I want to encourage you as a part of handling this, if you're going to wage war on something, wage war on boredom. Refuse to be bored. Find a way to be engaged and active. If you can't be happy, be productive, but don't be bored. Because I think boredom is a big, big part of what's going on here. And it's one of the behind the scenes layers that we don't don't normally look at, but that you actually can decide to directly address and make better. You can decide to do some planning and have less boredom tomorrow than what you did today. That is another excellent point. Lee, where do we take things from there? Uh, you've heard a lot of great stuff already. There was a there's a I would tack one little thing at the end. I, I was thinking about this. This thing that I learned in my relationship with my wife, um, just, you know, after years of being married, and she would come to me sometimes with a a problem or something that she was thinking through, and, and, you know, and, and I would start to try to solve the problem by thinking all of the reasons you shouldn't be worried about this thing. (laughs) And I would start to build a case... And, and, and describe, well, these are the, all of the reasons I think that you shouldn't be worried about this thing. And after litigating that for a while, um, you know, my sweet wife would say, you know, if you, you could have gone to the store and gotten that thing and been back like four times in the amount of time that you've taken to try to convince me not to be worried about it, then we'd just have it. And we'd have all that time back. And there was a there was a thing where I realized there's certain things where just make a move, like lean into this situation and make a move on it, and you actually will, like you actually will feel better. Um, and I, I set all of that up to say sometimes with certain issues that you're upset about, rather than trying to there there's a there's a thing where like I could talk myself out of something and try to ignore it to a certain degree where like I know this is making me feel bad so I want to so what I'm going to do is is ignore it or you know think happy thoughts or whatever the thing is. And sometimes the thing that I might need to do is go ahead and lean all the way into that it with a mindset that's kind of like the serenity prayer. Anybody that's familiar with the 12 steps, so the serenity prayer is uh God grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, And 
to look at a situation that's upsetting, a situation that's stressful, a situation that's causing anxiety, to lean all the way into that, not to try to not think about it, but to lean all the way into it and say, is there anything that I can affect right now? Is there anything that I can do right now that, that will um, you know, impart some change or some movement on this thing? With my situation with Christy, there were times where she would say, you know, I, I just feel like we need to go to the store and get this thing before we have this deal. And it's like, I, I don't think you should worry about that. Let me take 40 minutes to explain why you shouldn't worry about it. Instead <laughs> of just going to the store and just getting the thing and then coming back and then it's over. You know, it's like, there's, there's actually something I can do about this. There's a, there's a change that I can impact. You might not always have a huge change, but you might have some step. You might have some step that leaning actually into the thing that I'm upset about and finding out, is there something that I can change here? And, 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 and having the wisdom to know the difference. I can't change all of this. I can't impact all of this, but I can make this one little move right here. I might not be able to flip the switch and not think about the thing that's, that's, that's causing me distress or that's making me angry. But I'm going to go ahead and lean in and find out, is there anything I can do to make an, to make an impact or a change? If not, great. Grant me, the, grant me the wisdom to know the difference. But if there is something I can do to make a change, I'll go ahead and take a step towards that. And that will change the way that I feel about this situation. I think that's all great stuff from all these guys. One, one small thing I would throw on the end here. It feels to me like what you're describing your question of, I want to think about positive stuff, but my thought always just backs to what's making me the most mad or unhappy is dealing with a vacuum. Um, you know, when I'm not actively thinking about other stuff, then this is what pops up. And again, as all these guys have said, here's the thing that happens to everybody. Um, you know, Lee was talking on a recent episode about how uh, anger is the cheapest emotion. It's just the cheapest fuel to put in anything. Uh, it's always right there. Uh, if something's driving you crazy, is stressing you out, that is going to drift to the top of your thoughts if you don't actively do anything else. Um, and I think there can be some some feeling of, well, if I'm just distracting myself, then that's not staring it in the face and that's not uh, tackling a problem. Whatever. You can only think about something that makes you miserable for so long. Um you get to diminishing returns on that really quick. Kind of as Lee's pointing out in that example, you know, I don't have the thing. I'm upset. I don't have the thing. More time spent turning over in our mind. Why I'm upset that I don't have the thing and what makes me upset about that and how upset am I about that compared to other things I'm upset about. Uh, you're not going to get anywhere with that. That's not going to move towards making you happier. You'd have to eventually get in the car and go get the thing uh, to address that situation. But for things that are not that easily addressable, you know, it's a, it's a work thing or you have a, a conversation come up with somebody you don't want to have or whatever it is, um, distraction is not always a bad thing. Uh, sometimes you do have to actively make that choice to fill your thoughts with, you know, a book or a show or some music or taking a walk or a conversation, a positive conversation with someone because you have to actively fill that time because you know that this is a thing that's going to bubble up to the surface. And there really, really is nothing wrong with that. Move to our final question here. It comes in and says, what's the deal with Jesus casting demons out of people? I heard someone say that what they call demons in the Bible, we would call mental illnesses today, but that seems to have uncomfortable implications about mental illness and how we talk and treat people with them. So why no more demons? And what are we to take from those stories, if not demons? A very good question. We always welcome demon questions. Um, we, <laughs> we hope that this demon question will not welcome in a witch question to the podcast based on last week's show, but who knows? Uh, Lee has a supply of brooms ready to go. 
to draw out any potential witches. And uh, Jed, where would we start off here? Man, these are great questions. Short answer, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's fantastic questions. Most of them are solidly above my pay grade, and I definitely wasn't there. So they're good questions. And when you find really excellent answers to them, I hope that you will email me because I would love to know them. In the meantime, uh, what I can tell you is that Jesus did all kinds of healings that, in a sense, we like have, and I'm putting air quotes around this word, but we have better ways to do today. Like, uh, we're pretty good at, at um, dealing with problems with visual impairment. Uh, we don't generally rub mud into people's eyes as part of the standard <laughs> of care. So, like— um, Depends on your insurance, really. <laughs> <laughs> mud cross, mud shield. So— um, <laughs> The the point, just as people often rightly point out, the Bible is not a science textbook. Um, the Gospels are not a medical textbook. That's that's not the point. Uh, I think the point may be much closer to the idea that Jesus cares about our biggest, scariest problems, and that He is prepared to do something about them, even when we're when we think that's impossible. Um, I think that again, one key takeaway from really all of the miracles of Jesus, but in this case, the healing stories is we all have problems in our lives that we think are unaddressable. There is nothing that can be done about this. There's there, there is no way forward here and that Jesus does not necessarily share that assessment. And that even if it is in some ways impossible, that he cares about our situation in the midst of that, even in the midst of the things that won't be fixed and they won't be made right. He, he is with us and he cares about that. And that's really super, super important. Yeah. I want to add one other thing for you to think about though, because I think that when we talk about miracles and healings and whatnot in the Bible, it's really, really easy to get into this mode of the Bible appears to be talking about magic tricks and I'm both, you know, I feel weird about that, but then when I need a magic trick in my own life and it doesn't come, what does that mean? And, you know, does, did I not make the cut of people that God cares about? So let's talk for a second about the feeding of the 5,000, which I bet you know about, but if you don't, it's a story where Jesus is uh, preaching to a huge crowd of people, but it gets late in the day and nobody has any food. And so um, a, a kid there has basically a sack lunch and Jesus hands out the sack lunch and miraculously at the end, everybody's had enough to eat and there's leftovers. It's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Okay. So there's at least two ways that are fairly common in Christian circles to read that. And one of them is kind of a Marvel superhero thing that through truly supernatural means, Jesus takes this food and divides it. And there is a suspension of the laws of physics in that moment. A rift is torn in the universe and there is... Through the power of God, there is more food there at the end than there was before. And that may well be exactly what happened. But there's another explanation that I want you to think about for your own life. The, the other explanation is that Jesus took this food and began distributing it and that people saw someone not being selfish and that when people saw someone not being selfish, they began to share some of the food that they actually had that they weren't willing to acknowledge that they had because they were afraid that if they were honest about their resources, they might have to share with other people. <laughs> and that one person sharing led to more people sharing, led to more people sharing, led to more people sharing. And at the end, everybody had enough to eat and they were leftovers. Now, like I said up front, I wasn't there. I don't know. And I think, um, again, there are Christians I respect that, that give both of those readings and when they look at that parable. But I think that in your life, 
I think that there are so many miracles that God wants to do that have to do with kindness and generosity and Mm. compassion and openness and embrace as opposed to supernatural healings. I'm not saying that God doesn't want to do supernatural healings in your life, but I am certain that God wants to bring the increase to moments of compassion and kindness and generosity and love and acceptance and tenderness. I am certain God wants to do that in your life. And what, to take it back to the, to the demons, um, the traditional Christian reading of the story is that there is a, a strong supernatural element there, and there may well be, but there's also an element of kindness and compassion and caring about people that other people don't want to care about and figuring out a way to be there for people that other people don't want to be there for. And God definitely wants to do those kind of miracles in your life. Please don't discount them. Please find a way to live into those miracles that God is ready to do in you and in me right now today. A truly wonderful place to start off. And Lee, where do we take things from there? Um, you know, one of the things that we need to say definitely from the top of this is that um, mental illness is real and should be treated by professionals. Yeah. Um, we want to encourage... Um, I, I saw a bumper sticker the other day um, of a car. This was a, I was at the grocery store, and I was parked next to a car that had, um, you know, it had some... It had some Jesus-y bumper stickers and stuff, and it said, I believe in Jesus, and I think therapy is great. That was what the bumper wow. sticker said. Yep. That's you know? awesome. <laughs> and it's one of those deals where it's like, unfortunately, that has to be a bumper sticker. Uh, mental illness is a real struggle that a lot of people face in various degrees and in various different ways, and it should be treated by professionals, and we should encourage people to seek support and treatment. Therapy is good and important, and medication can be an amazing tool for folks who need various types of interventions at all kinds of different levels. Um, and so we need, to, we need to be super duper clear about that. And people who love Jesus should encourage people who need it to seek um, professional help, medical intervention, and all of the support that they need to deal with the, thing, the struggles that they're facing. Um, that being said, when you read the New Testament, it is obvious that Jesus not only believed in, but interacted with, like, invisible spiritual beings. Um, he did. So, I, and I point that out to say that I would, I think it, in some ways, it can be a disrespectful thing to say, we're just going to squash all, you know, all, all supposed stuff in the New Testament about, uh, you know, whatever it is, you know, you know, unclean spirits. We're just going to call that uh, mental illness. Well, that really, that's a really oversimplification of the way that Jesus handled a lot of things. And it, and it kind of, it's one of those things where it's like mental illness is a real thing. And Jesus handled and dealt with and interacted with spiritual beings. Um, one thing that I will say, and, and I definitely, I love where Jed started this whole deal out with, which was, I don't know. Because I think that more Christians need to be a whole lot more comfortable with the phrase, I don't know. Yep. And let me say, I am also very, very comfy with that phrase. I don't know. I will say that the more that I read the New Testament, there is a really interesting thing that, that you'd notice if you're paying attention to it, which is there seems to be a big flare-up of spiritual, like certain kind of spiritual realm activity around the ministry of Jesus before he went to the cross and and all that stuff that 
it kind of like dies down as the apostles go out and as the church is getting started and as those guys who are writing the New Testament got older and older and older. So that during the ministry of Jesus, you do see a whole lot of activity like this. And you see some of it as as those men and women were starting the church, uh, you know, in, in, around Jerusalem and, and around these cities and as it spread and spread. But then like towards the end of like that generation, even when Paul was an older dude, like writing the book of First Timothy, he says to Timothy in chapter five, hey, dude, like, I know that you're having a lot of stomach issues and a lot of illnesses. Don't just drink water when you sit down to your meal, like take some wine for some of that stuff. He doesn't tell him like, go get healed um, or heal yourself or anything like that. I mean, it seems to it seems to that some of that stuff kind of flared up when Jesus was in activity, and then it kind of died down. And and that's not me telling you that's the that's exactly the explanation for the you know uh, you know apparent you know lessening of of some of that kind of spiritual activity. I, I don't know, and I'm very comfortable saying I don't know. But I'm also very comfortable saying mental illness is a real thing. Medical interventions are important. Therapy is important. Being supportive of people seeking therapy is important. Christians should be comfortable with a lot of things. One of them is saying, I don't know. And another is, let me help you and support you in in finding all the professional help that you can get. Those are things we should be comfortable with. We should be comfortable with not knowing, and we should be comfortable with making sure that people get the help that they need. Absolutely right. And Glenn, where do we close this out? Well, I, I, I don't know either. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm with these fellas. I think uh, it's important for us to recognize that uh, to the extent that we see people painting with a broad brush, that they may be sort of overestimating their ability to understand these things. And uh, the, the more uh, sort of uh, weird levels of certainty you hear out of some people, the more you might ought to be a little skeptical about this stuff. Yeah, I think, sure, there, there's a possibility that a certain amount of uh, what people were seeing, they were sort of misdiagnosing as not a spiritual problem, but, uh, you know, schizophrenia or something like that. Uh, and they were they were calling that something demonic when it wasn't. Uh, but I think the important thing to recognize off of that is, A, that doesn't mean that... Uh, everyone who is uh, schizophrenic or has depression or what have you is demon-possessed, and it also doesn't mean that everyone that they called demon-possessed only had mental health diseases. So let's just not make that a (laughs) one-to-one equation there, Mm -hmm. because it just does not make any sense. Um, I think it's, to Lee's point, I don't think Christians really know what to do with the mentally unhealthy. I just, I don't think they know what to do. Uh, I don't, there's not a process for that. I mean, you, you know, you can slap them on the forehead and, 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 you know, tell the demons to go away or whatever you want to do, but that's not actually dealing with a healing process. It's not engaging with it and doing something with it. Uh, I've seen Christians do a lot of enabling of poor mental health. I've seen a lot of poor mental health and leadership that needed to be curtailed and wasn't. And I've, I've seen a lot of people uh, deal with poor mental health by sort of sweeping it under the rug and religiousizing it. And that doesn't help anything either. 
mentally ill people need holistic help. That means they need to be in a physical situation that's safe for them and safe for the people around them. It means they need, obviously, emotional uh, help from professionals, as Lee was pointing out there. And, of course, they need spiritual help, too. And it's it's a very tricky, very complicated thing to think of how can we minister to people who have mental health problems. And some of us on the show have been in that position, and it's a very touchy thing. It's a very delicate thing. It has to be handled just right. Uh, your expectations have to be uh, shifted to deal with people who have mental health struggles. So it's 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 not the kind of thing you ever could just sort of paint with a broad brush. But it's also important to recognize that physically ill people, emotionally ill people, and spiritually ill people all are healed in different ways. Uh, I have uh, had things uh, that were wrong with me physically that were healed, uh, you know, in a way that seemed uh, miraculous because it happened super fast. I have things that have gone wrong with my body that were healed eventually that didn't feel miraculous at all because it took too long. And I have some stuff uh, that's wrong with me that that's going to keep uh, going more and more wrong because of a terrible, terrible thing called aging, which if mm. if, if you want to bind a demon and cast him out, start <laughs> there because dang, dude. Uh, God heals us in different ways uh, and uh, that applies to all different levels of illness that we might have. Again, you know, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Uh, and so I think having that understanding that God wants to heal us in his own way and in his own time. And in the meantime, what we need to figure out is how can we support people? How do we uh, help and encourage people and minister to them while they're going through those times of suffering? rather than dismiss it by saying, you know, let's let's just uh, drive out a demon so we don't have to deal with this person. All great stuff from these guys and uh they uh generally mentioned it, but I will I will do the bragging for them. These are all dudes who have experience with people who are going through uh intense uh mental uh health issues and uh to the point of some mental health issues that mental health experts cannot explain. And they have uh, been in those situations, dealt with those people, and they know what they're talking about. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. You want to keep that entirely anonymous. Take out the song this week. This is a Lee favorite called I Am Free. Not really right. sure how it ties into the themes, but a very good tune and sometimes a very good tune. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't the overall theme of this show always rocking? Yes, Sometimes right. we're quite subtle about it, but it certainly is. We'll take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. Nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast reminding you that empathy and understanding are pleasing to the Lord. He's also pleased when we choose peace over rage. Poop, poop, and poop. And remember to be compassionate with people <laughs> with mental health challenges. <laughs> you made my heart.